Welcome to the Echelon Wealth Partners podcast, your destination for financial insight. And now your host and head of wealth management, James Hunter. Hello, and welcome to another installment of Echelon Wealth Partners podcast series. My name is James Hunter. I'm the head of wealth management at Echelon Wealth Partners. And I'm joined today by Michael White, portfolio manager of multi-asset strategies at Picton Mahoney. Welcome, Mike. Thanks very much for having me here, James. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about uh, a, a more popular topic uh, in, in terms of investment discussions, and that is the uh, the topic of alternative investing, alternative strategies, uh, alternative products in general, what they mean. We're going to keep it at a relatively high level just so our listeners can get a feel for what it actually means and, and the differentiation between the, uh, the different product lines and, and strategies, everything like that. So, um, Mike, you work at Picton Mahoney, uh, but you and I have known each other for uh, quite a long time, and we've probably spent uh, as much time talking about investments as we have uh, in terms of how to effectively put uh, kids' ski boots on as we bump into <laughs> each other in the uh, in a crowded ski lodge. But why don't you uh, just start by giving us a bit of your background and, and how you ended up at Picton Mahoney doing what you do. Sure. Well, I mean, I've been in the business for over 25 years and uh, lots of white hair to uh, to show those 25 plus years. Um, but it's interesting. I actually started my career at a private investment counseling firm, uh, which has since been absorbed by a big bank. But um, it was a very, very seminal experience for me because we dealt with a lot of high net worth investors, you know, second, third generation wealth in Canada. And, you know, here were clients that really didn't have to work. They've been sitting on piles of cash for their lives, living off that cash really that their parents and grandparents had earned. Many were balanced investors and they would always come to their investment reviews and say, look, you know, I want you to beat the market just like every investor does, but more importantly, don't lose my money. Um, they can't make it back. So that experience was very, very hardwired for me. And um, as a balanced investor, as an asset allocator, um, you really need to understand that um, that message is uh, important in portfolio construction. You know, I think people understand that uh, stocks are the best performing long run asset class. Uh, bonds exist in a balanced portfolio to offer a buffer against stock volatility. But there is a lot more that an investor can do within a fund construct. And uh, that's, that's really, you know, after many, many years, after that 25 years, I come to Picton Mahoney from the traditional mutual fund world where admittedly there was a bit of frustration to, uh, to applying my trade in a very confined uh, rule set. But uh, here at Picton Mahoney, we've been established as a alternatives manager for 16 years now. And you're offered a full toolkit. Um, really, if, if you're interested in applying that fiduciary duty, you know, doing what's right for the client, you can't sit there uh, with just the hammer, you know, the old expression, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So the, the, the beauty of working at this firm is that um, not only had we been established for 15, 16 years managing, managing um, alternative strategies, but um, we really empower the managers to do what's right, to really explore the full potential of portfolio construction. And I'm really excited, frankly, that, you know, we're uniquely poised with uh, the alternative framework that's now been codified by the regulators. It's been speaking to what we've been doing now for many years. 
Okay, so someone listening right now could could be thinking, well, he keeps saying alternative strategies. I wish he'd say what that meant. So, so what do you mean by alternative strategies? It's a very important distinction, actually, because alternatives just kind of speaks to you know, everything but the traditional stock bond residual cash in a portfolio. So it, it can, alternatives can be really all encompassing. What I find though, when I talk to investors and advisors for investors across the country is that the typical attraction to alternatives tends to be to alternative assets. So things like real estate, um, infrastructure, private debt, private equity, these are, you know, important asset classes and they can play a role in a portfolio. But when you're an alternatives manager, you're really trying to understand, you know, where those sensitivities are in a traditional portfolio. And for many of these new asset classes, or at least asset classes that might be new to investors that I mentioned, um, they bear a lot of similar risks to what already exists in a portfolio. So let's take real estate and infrastructure. I mean, there's two asset classes where the primary driver of those returns is low interest rates. You know, as money gets cheaper, People can go out and buy airports and toll roads and buildings and the rates of return on these assets, you know, tend to get boosted by a a cheaper cost of financing those assets. So I think, you know, if you're a balanced investor and bonds have done nothing for, or, or, you know, produce very anemic returns for many years now, and you're trying to create more income from your stocks and buying dividend paying equities, all of a sudden this new asset class comes along, real estate infrastructure, but you're just adding in more interest rate risk to the portfolio. So it might be a different thing. It might look as though you're diversifying your portfolio, but you're not really diversifying the risk that's in your portfolio. And that's where alternative assets can be very different from alternative strategies. So can you tell us about alternative strategies then? Uh, You know, you've said that alternative assets are essentially either a hard asset or um, a different asset outside of fixed income or the equity markets. What are alternative strategies then? Yeah. So an alternative strategy is more about how you manage the fund, how you take the mandate and, and, you know, explore the opportunities. So it's about the skills and the tools that you bring to managing the portfolio. So that portfolio can hold stocks, it can hold bonds, it can hold traditional assets. But when you take that manager's expertise in using things like option strategies, um, appropriate use of leverage, lots of, um, you know, again, different tools that a portfolio manager can exploit to, you know, dampen volatility in portfolios or increase diversification, um, you, you really start to see how a strategy can be a lot more effective in achieving an outcome than just targeting a single alternative asset. But like anything else, you know, when, when these funds are marketed to investors, the important thing is to understand exactly what that strategy is intended to deliver. Uh, what risk it might be trying to address in your portfolio, and then really doing the proper due diligence to understand that 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 fund or that strategy is is capable of doing that. So it's early days, really, in the alternatives landscape. But um, I really try to steer the conversation with investors to to really first off make that distinction between alternative assets and alternative strategies. They can't be seen to be the same thing. Well, it's it's interesting because you bring up both options and leverage, but you did say appropriate level of of leverage. So those two terms uh, might make people think, oh, that sounds higher risk, but you're talking about uh, dampening volatility and and, um, trying to reduce risk. So the, the two seem a bit at odds with each other. 
Yeah, I would think of it in terms of making your money work harder and smarter. You know, when you're using these different um, types of securities and different methods of, of creating diversification, um, let's just address leverage. I mean, people hear the word leverage and they think that you're going out and borrowing money from a bank and trying to torque up the returns in your portfolio. For us, the way we apply leverage is about being smart with the capital. Um, we can get the same exposure to an asset class like stocks by buying futures instead of going out and buying a basket of stocks. A futures contract doesn't require the same amount of capital to get the kind of exposure that you want. So you then free up more capital in your fund to go and buy or seek out more diversification. And, and that's where the leverage comes in. It's not that you're going out and borrowing money per se, but you're, you're applying instruments and strategies where there might be some embedded leverage that allows you to free up more capital to achieve diversification. So it's, it's, it's a word, it, again, yeah, it's, it's a term that's probably got a, a bad connotation to it, but in the hands of, of those you know, capable and experienced in using leverage prudently, um, I think it's going to be a very viable tool. I mean, this is the sort of thing that pension funds all over the world have been doing for many, many years. So these tools exist, and it's really, like I said, just a question of how, how much skill and experience the manager has in utilizing them. Right. And from your perspective, do most alternative strategies try to avoid correlation with either fixed income or equity markets? Is that, is that the end goal here to, to have a, a space in someone's portfolio that's just different, that, that, that's trying to create real return, um, alpha, and something that's completely different from the traditional asset class? Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, that idea that um, you, you want to really monitor how something behaves. And if, if it behaves almost exactly like what you already own in a portfolio, then by definition, it's not an alternative. So, you know, the, the, the price of your investment may go up on a day that stocks go up, but the actual return drivers of that alternative investment are actually very different. So for us, we think a lot about, you know, what are the risks in the typical investor portfolio out there? You know, I mentioned interest rate risk being one that's pretty central to the balanced investor. But, you know, there might be other macro level risks in portfolios, more um, sensitivity to uh, the movements in currencies or commodities, et cetera. Um, but I, I do think, you know, when we survey the landscape out there, the, the biggest risk in traditional portfolios right now is interest rate sensitivity. And it's, it's all come from the fact that bonds have been, uh, you know, producing a great complement of total return to the balanced portfolios for a generation, while interest rates have done nothing but go down. And we're exploring that zero bound in interest rates right now for bonds to keep delivering that amount of return to portfolios. Um, you know, we have to go to a very weird place, which is negative interest rates. Some countries in the world have that, but I mean, it, it's not, it's not something you want to necessarily, you know, dedicate yourself to for another 30 years. Um, and, and, and the flip side of that is that, you know, the balance portfolio has been hijacked because investors are getting older and they need income. So they've gone and replaced that income that's gone from bonds and bought dividend paying stocks. Now you've created more interest rate sensitivity in the portfolio. So I think, you know, if an alternative is going to work in a portfolio, that's probably the biggest one to address is how do we mitigate or at least behave very differently from that, those interest rate sensitive assets that are in traditional portfolios. But there are lots of different risks and, and correlations to address. And, you know, you use the buzzword correlation. It, it's about making sure that 
you know, all of the assets in your portfolio are behaving differently at different times. You know, you don't want a portfolio that's firing on all cylinders necessarily because then you can be upset when the regime or the macro landscape kind of changes a little bit. So the, the beauty and the art and science of building portfolios is to, to create actual diversification. And that doesn't mean just stuffing a whole bunch of different things in there. You have to understand how these assets behave and how they interact with each other. And that's, that's, that's the diversification that we're all seeking as, right. as money managers. Well, Mike, as you know, I'm very good with the buzzwords. And, and one uh, that uh, I, I guess a phrase that's been throwing, thrown around lately is the 60-40 portfolio is, is dying. And uh, uh, that, that's uh, been thrown around a lot. And that's indicative of the uh, increasing popularity of alternative strategies. Um, so how do, uh, we, we know that pension funds and, and uh, <clears throat> all types of very ultra high net worth individuals in the United States have had access to alternative strategies. How does um, a Canadian investor access these types of strategies and how do they go about determining um, the best ones, the best fit for them and how they would fit into their portfolios? Well, the great thing is that, um, you know, in a, like a lot of things in Canada, we're, we're often a couple of years later than the rest of the world in developing, <laughs> but, um, does, does that make us a developing nation? <laughs> no, <laughs> just, you know, when, when I think about, you know, things like cell phones and things like that, you know, mm-hmm. I'd love to get, I hear you. I I'd hear love you. To get global cell phone pricing brought to Canada, but <laughs> don't, don't, don't let me throw you off there. <laughs> No, I think that uh, the important thing to understand is that we've got the experience already um, out there with alternatives in both the U.S. and Europe. Um, In the U.S., they're called 40 Act Funds and many, many years of experience. Uh, Same thing in Europe with USITs. So we've been able to watch these markets evolve as alternatives have been, you know, again, codified by regulators, but adopted by investors, not just the high net worth and pension type investors that you're talking about many, many, many billions. In fact, a couple trillion dollars of alternatives uh, globally, I think we're tallying up into the three and a half trillion dollars allocated to alternative investments globally right now. So this is not a new thing. It's it's relatively new to Canada. But the nice thing is that our regulators have actually taken the time to study it, understand you know, how this should be rolled out. It was many years of actual deep work and consultation to, uh, to bring alternatives into the, the, the limelight for Canadian investors. Today, um, you know, traditionally mutual funds were, were governed under this thing called NI81102. So that's a national instrument. It creates a regulatory oversight for mutual funds for all the right reasons. You know, we need, you know, we need stringent control on, on any industry like this, especially when it relates to managing people's money. Um, what I would say though, is that, uh, part of the exercise, what the regulators have been trying to do is create a structure, you know, enhance this national instrument, enhance this regulatory oversight to allow investors alternatives. And NIE 102 was, you know, recodified, I guess, and and trotted out again in January of 2018 to include alternative investments. So there are new parameters for alternative funds. They have a bit more flexibility than traditional mutual funds, but in terms of their accessibility, they are just like mutual funds. There's daily liquidity. You can, you know, buy and sell them in your investment account through an advisor as easily as a mutual fund. And in fact, many alternatives providers, ourselves included at Picton Mahoney, have brought out ETF versions of our alternative fund mm-hmm. strategies. And that's just really, 
it's not a vote on ETFs per se. It's just saying here's a, a series of different delivery mechanisms to investors, but but ultimately very very accessible. Right. And how transparent are they? I, I remember when you and I were starting out in the industry, these types of products were sort of uh, black boxes. You, you didn't really get to see what was inside them or, or portfolio updates. Is there a level of transparency? now on the on the part of the portfolio manager to show unit holders um, just what their strategy looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So to the extent that they are governed by that national instrument, the same one that governs traditional mutual funds, it, alternative funds will have the exact same regulatory burden in terms of reporting and transparency. Um, but importantly, I think that uh, the due diligence is, is, is another level where the, bar, the, the buzzwords, the jargon will get thrown around and um, that's all going to be kind of, you know, marketing. Uh, and, and that's typical for early days in any industry. But importantly, you know, the fun fact sheets, the typical um, marketing material that advisors might use to explain funds to their clients, uh, it's, it's going to have a little more meat to it. And a big part of my job, actually, at Picton Mahoney, I spent two years trotting across the country doing this alternatives education because yeah, and anybody can be overwhelmed by all these buzzwords and just kind of play along. But uh, as a fiduciary, as, as someone with a responsibility to do what's right for your client, you know, the advisor has to answer to a higher standard now. So um, we're, we're taking an, a role uh, of advocacy. We want to be true advocates and partners with advisors to not only, you know, um, uh, achieve some success in, in, you know, proliferating alternative investment strategies because we think they're the right thing to add to traditional portfolios, but to make sure first and foremost that um, advisors and their end investors in turn understand the strategies, why they are doing what they're doing and what role they play in the portfolio. So right. all of that transparency is, is, is ultimately very, very important. And I think the regulators have frankly got it right. Um, it's, it's going to probably take another year or two before we really see the dust settle on where different strategies are, are most viable. Right. Um, but that's typical. You know, we saw that experience in the U S and Europe after say five years, most of the alternative strategies ended up in the hands of those most skilled to do it. So we expect the same thing to evolve here in Canada. That's excellent. And I think it's crucial for investors to talk to their advisors about how alternative strategies might fit into their portfolio, whether their firm has done due diligence on those products and actually put them through a rigorous uh, process to approve, to make sure that they're uh, viable, that they've got the right controls in place, that they're actually, um, you know, managing in the manner that they, they say they're managing the portfolio. Um, and also the, at the advisor level, just making sure that the, the strategy is, is consistent um, with, with its mandate and, and uh, the, the returns um, are suitable for the client, the risk and volatility are suitable for the client's risk appetite. Um, all these things have to take place before, um, you know, any action uh, takes place in someone's portfolio. So I, I think that is another area where an advisor can bring a, a lot of value is, is through uh, manager selection, mandate selection, and, and making sure that the um, uh, individual's asset allocation can absorb uh, an alternative strategy as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I applaud your firm as well, James, because, you know, we've, we've done work with all the head office, the fund analysts, the, um, you know, all those people applying 
the, the stringent controls and, and approval processes. It's, um, it wasn't easy, but we're, we're substantially through a lot of that now as an industry. And again, as new people come with new alternative strategies, that template is set. So we're, we're very much, um, off and running, I guess, in, in the evolution of the alternatives landscape in Canada. So, good. Take- so, so we put you through the ringer. That's good. <laughs> uh, that's great, Mike. Well, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for this. And uh, uh, I know we kept a very high level. And, and uh, is there somewhere where individuals might be able to get more information um, in general or, or at Picton Mahoney uh, about uh, alternative strategies? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say if, if an investor is simply Google searching alternative investments, um, they would want to just be careful that uh, they're not stumbling into a U.S. or European website. I mean, the rules in different markets are slightly different. So that, that's probably the, the big governor I would put on it. A Google search might not necessarily apply to the Canadian experience, but there are certainly, you know, regulatory bodies in Canada that uh, that will have important um, comments. Um, you know, you, you have the likes of uh, Kaya, CASA. There are a number of alternative um, industry bodies uh, in Canada with ample education material on their website. So we, uh, we certainly support um, those bodies and uh, we want to be able to, Again, advocate, uh, partner with the advisors on behalf of their investor clients to educate uh, and really understand, you know, this evolution and, and, you know, be at the forefront of it at the same time. Awesome. Michael White, Victor Mahoney, thank you very much and uh, stay safe out there. Okay. Cheers. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat. Thank you.